This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, welcome to Asia Torah here in the old city of Jerusalem, overlooking the western wall right outside this window, which creates too much backlight. (laughs) Anyone who's complaining out there, it was creating too much backlight for you too. They even discussed having this whole room with the speaker over there, but they just felt they couldn't, you know, because the lighting's just really harsh in here, because this is one of the brightest places on earth, by the way, and I know a lot of you are spiritual people and agree, but I'm talking about actual light meters for photographers. Photographers say that their light meter never went as high in all their career than it did at the Kotel, because think about it, it's all white stone, and it's a bowl of white stone. And the sun beating down around high noon is just like baking into this white bowl. And it is really hard to shoot shots in there. You gotta be good to get those shots right. And it's, it's, it's rough. And here, I teach in the afternoon, so it's like, it, uh, you know, afternoon should be good, actually. The sun rises over there, so the morning's really hard. But the afternoon, it's just this bright thing. You know, you can sit in a class forever and ever and ever in Jewish world and never hear a class about the afterlife. Like, they don't exist. And uh, let me see, anyone here of some of my veteran students? No, everyone looks pretty fresh here. Uh, no veteran? Oh, Moshe! <laughs> He's a veteran student. How long have you been uh, coming to my classes, Moshe? Almost 10 years. Almost 10 years. Wow. Now, Moshe, of all your time learning in yeshiva, when's the last time you went to a class about the afterlife. No. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's almost, it's almost unmentioned, this whole afterlife business. But when you go to other traditions, like for example, if let's say you went to a Christian class, how long do you think it would, you would last there? Or, well, you wouldn't last there very long, but how long do you think you would be there until they start talking about the afterlife? Not very long. Afterlife, go to YouTube. YouTube, any religion. Afterlife's going to be right at the beginning. It's right at the beginning. You know why? Because they want to freak you out. They want to make you nervous. They want to make you nervous about what's going to happen later. And they're going to somehow suddenly know what's going to happen later, which is a total joke because nobody knows what happens later. You know, you have to die to find out. And to prove them wrong, you'd have to also die. So they figure no one's going to die to prove us wrong. And even if they did die, how are they going to prove us wrong after they're dead? If you ask me personally, I think it is of the biggest colossal universal manipulations of mankind is bringing up afterlife to people. Because normally when you're offering something to someone, you want to create an, a sense of free will for the person. You want to, you want to create a sense of uh, m- the most powerful choice possible. You want power and choice. You want to be giving people power, not taking it away when people are making choices. But the second you go to their biggest fear, what's the number one fear? When they pull human beings right beside public speaking, which is the number one biggest fear, what's the next biggest fear? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. The next biggest fear is death, which is part of the fear of travel. 
Because what if I don't come back? Which is death. Not coming back. So the fear of death is like, and it's really the number one fear because the fear of public speaking is, you know, just don't public speak. So you're out of, you're out of the fear. But death, what is it? Just don't die? You know, like, how are you going to do that? You know, no one's walked this earth without eventually dying. So, so therefore, it's the number one biggest universal fear there is. And now you're going to convince someone of a potential life behavior or ethic or, or some uh, worldview that's hedged on the fact that, well, you're going to die. And you don't want to get busted when you die. You don't want to be in trouble when you die. Now, can you think of anything less fair? Fair. Fear. Fair. <laughs> it's so not fair. And in Judaism, where, where free will is your reward, meaning you think your reward, dude, uh, over here, uh, excuse me, sir, you think your reward, you're going to get rewarded for wearing that kippah? Well, you'll be rewarded for wearing that kippah in as much as you might not want to wear that kippah. And then you'd wear it anyway. There will be your reward. Our reward, your actual reward is in the choice. So therefore, we want to always, we want to be bolstering your free will, not ripping it away because we scare the living daylights out of you regarding the afterlife. We don't want to take away, that's how you, it's very interesting, let's think about it now. That's how you take away someone's afterlife, is get them all freaked out that they got to do X, Y, or Z, or else they're going to hell in a bucket. <laughs> and so now, they're not really exercising powerful free will. There's a spot right here for you, bro. They're not really exercising free will, unless you want to slide over and make it easy. Um, they're not exercising free will. On the contrary, they're just dealing with life's biggest fear. And that's why they wear tzitzes. And that's why they're putting on phone. Or that's why they're crossing their chest. Slide back a little bit so I can see you. The, um, there's one spot there. You want to slide over one for this dude? No, yeah. I was talking to you, yeah. Sorry. If I ever stop being a rabbi, I'm going to run a restaurant. <laughs> Just kidding. Can you imagine me running a restaurant? Only Moshe could imagine. All the food would be free. It'd be the place to eat when you're out of money. A rabbi, I just don't have so much money today, but I'll get you later. Have a great day, bro. I feel bad for my secretary. My secretary, not only did she take the job to do everything that I need her to do, but she also has to take all cash away from me. So I don't just, like, give it away, which has used to happen. And thank God now things are like a little more under control. Now, it's part of growing up rich. When you grow up rich, you just can't stop giving away everything you got. Right? <laughs> well, not the rich people I know. I remember I was, I was in a, uh, I was speaking of death. I was in a hospital in hospice and there was this very rich guy on his deathbed. I mean, this guy was like, I mean, you could smell him already. He was dying, you know. And it already smelled, and he was, his heart was still beating. And they're a wealthy guy. And so I said to him, listen, I just want to bring up a good cause that maybe before you die, you should give some of your money. You know, 
And he looks at me with a stern look. Like, this was his, like, strongest moment of our whole meeting. He looks at me with a stern look, and he says, You think I made my money by giving it away? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, I was just trying to visit the sick, you know, but I, I just, like... <laughs> This is the only guy I ever said this to. I said, I said, death shrouds have no pockets. Just kidding. I didn't say that. <laughs> I was freaking you guys out. I didn't say that. Death shrouds. <laughs> anyway, but, but bringing up the afterlife to people who are trying to make choices, it's a mistake because... The more choice you give them, you want to give a lot of choice. You want to make things as even as possible. Because the more even it is, the more choice there is. The more choice there is, the more Nick's world you have. You think God needs you to say amen? You think God needs your sitsis, bro? No. He doesn't need it. You can't give God something. He's perfect. He's infinite. He's beyond everything. There's nothing you can give God. The only thing you can give God is to is to sub- subjugate the part of you that doesn't want to do something good and do something good anyway. Just do it. Just do something good when you didn't want to do something good. That you can give God. Now, this is one of the reasons, one second, this is one of the reasons why Rashi says very clearly to never say, I don't like pig. Rashi says that. Never say you don't like pig. He says, why lose the reward for not eating it? Why lose the reward? Don't say you don't like something forbidden in the Torah. Say, I do like it, and I'm not doing it, because God said so. Why lose your reward, says Rashi? Yeah, what's your name? Uh, I, Ellie Mayer Gesselman. Ellie? Ellie Mayer Gesselman. Welcome, um, Ellie Mayer Gesselman. I have heard that the whole purpose of this world, why God is hidden, is so that the service we can do is to expose God's presence in this world that we can become a giver like him. So it seems in this world, at least there is something we, we can give to God. I like what you're saying. You're like, saying so nice. Uh, Ellie Mayer, I love what Ellie Mayer is saying. <laughs> I love what he's saying. Think, think what is God's job like 24-7? God's job 24-7 is to bestow. He bestows. He gives. He gives. He gives. He gives. So, so what if you said... Say so you saw someone who needs something, needs someone to give to them. And you said, God, I got this, so to speak. Because obviously he's got this through you. And what a feeling to have give through, you know, God giving through you. So can, is that something you can give God? No, you give it to yourself. I don't know. You're giving it to them too. You're giving it to the recipient. You're giving it to yourself. You're giving You're giving I don't know, this is, this is a deep conversation, but Ellie Mayer, I'm going to move on just as far as staying focused on the afterlife discussion. But what I'd like to, so I just got through saying, Rashi says, don't say you don't like pork. But I want to go further with that and say that your Yetzirah, your Yetzirah, your evil inclination, that part of you, you know, we all have an inclination for good, but we also have an inclination for bad. Your inclination for bad, which is called in Hebrew the Yetzirah, is your best friend. That's your best friend. Now, I know you always think religious figures are telling you to run away from your Yetzirah. 
and you know, go be righteous and good and all that stuff. But your Yetzirah is your best friend. You know why? That's how you get your reward. No Yetzirah, so then there's only Yetzirah Tov. It's like if you were always happy, would you appreciate it? The Yetzirah is how you get reward. It is your money in the bank for your spiritual well-being for eternity. So if you didn't have any Yetzirah, and then you put on your tefillin, and then you put on your tzitzis, or then you give your tzedakah, or then you keep Shabbat, or then you do, you light your candles, and you had no Yetzirah to break Shabbos or to eat pork, if you didn't have any Yetzirah for any of that stuff, so then you, what are you doing? How do you get reward for that? You get reward for, do you get reward for bobbing in a jacuzzi? Could, could, one sec. So you're just bobbing, well, that's a good question too, but you're just bobbing in a jacuzzi while doing mitzvahs? The Yetzirah is how you get your reward. So it's therefore your best friend. But here's the scary thing, and especially if you're a teenager, is that the Yetzirah actually makes you think you're supposed to do stuff. Like the stuff the Yetzirah wants you to do, it actually feels like you're supposed to do it sometimes. We get convinced that somehow the stuff the evil inclination gets us to do, like we're supposed to actually do it. But that's good that you feel that way because that's how real it is. And then when you choose to do the right thing anyway, what's up, everybody? And the only seats we got left are uh, two, and they're both co-ed. So if you're, and you'll be separate. So you're, you, you, oh yeah, she, oh, okay, okay. Uh, can I ask one of you ladies to sit closer here and then we'll, we'll give this guy a spot? Okay. So what happens in the end is that, is that your Yetzirah is your best friend and it's good that the Yetzirah feels that real. Like you're actually supposed to do what you're not supposed to do. <laughs> it's good it feels that real because that's your reward. But in the end, you're never supposed to do anything the Yetzirah has in mind for you. It's not for you to do. It's just for you to, to earn reward. And that reward's exactly what you need your Yetzahara for. Now, back to the afterlife. We're going to get to the who, needs the who needs the reward. So back to the afterlife. Judaism believes firmly in afterlife, but we don't talk about it much. And the reason we don't talk about it much is, is we already mentioned one reason, is so you maintain your free will. And there's another reason we don't talk a lot about it. We don't know what it is. We have no idea. Like, for example, uh, I don't know, let's take, uh, what's your name? Sam. Let's take Sam for Sam, I met you before. Yeah. <laughs> what's up, Sam? So take Sam, for example. Yeah, and what's your name? <coughs> Michael. So we got Sam, we got Michael. Now, Michael thinks he's supposed to be the chief rabbi of Haifa. Yeah? He's suddenly, like, I don't know, he's at these age classes and, like, gets sparked and inspired and... And then he winds up in Haifa for some reason. He says, oh my gosh, this place needs a rabbi. And so, and so he's like, I'll be the chief rabbi of Haifa. And I will, I will help Haifa. And, and Sam, on the other hand, his thing is like, people got to be nice. Like, I just want to be nice to people. Like, I'm going to be that guy who like, I'm going to thank parking attendants, like genuinely, like I'm going to park next to the parking attendant, you know, on my way out after I paid the ticket. I'm just going to say, Thanks for all you do, you know, to parking attendants and not just them, like 
just about being nice. But meanwhile, he was actually born to be the chief rabbi of Haifa, and he was born to be nice to parking attendants. And so what happens is Michael's on his way to heaven, whatever that means, because we don't know what it is. But he's on his way to heaven, and he's like, he's expecting a full parade. Big band, everything. Here comes Michael, chief rabbi of Haifa. You know, meanwhile, he gets in there and it's just like, where is everybody? And a voice comes down and says, Michael, your job was to be nice to random people. (laughs) And of course, Sam gets to heaven, Mr. Nice to everybody. And they're like, introducing the chief rabbi of Haifa. And Sam walks in and he's just like, uh, I, th- I think it's a, there's been a mistake here. And they're like, and there's a voice saying, no mistake. And Sam's just like, what the hell? Now what? When we're talking about afterlife, we believe there's afterlife. I mean, that I can prove to you right this moment. You guys want me to prove to you in a matter of two minutes there's afterlife? You want me to prove that in two minutes? Those who doubt afterlife? Okay, here we go. Um, Well, since he said yes, what's your name? Adam. Adam. Sam and Adam. Sam Adams. (laughs) Fear. (laughs) Okay, so... So here I am talking to Adam, and Adam's, you know, looking at Yom Tov. And wh- what's happening here is, is I see this, you're an organism ultimately, and I'm an organism, okay? You're an organism. And this organism has ears, that's why you're able to hear me right now. And what's happening is I'm speaking what language right now? Math. And the math is shooting across the room in gigantic equations. No one could do the math, especially this quickly. But what's happening is the math is hitting a tympanic membrane called an eardrum. So there's a little monkey playing all the math, like crazy drum rolls. And that's going up audio nerves into what's called neurons, which is you have billions of neurons in your frontal cortex, billions of them. And what happens is neurons, they're just like, they're microscopic. I mean, if you have billions of them, it's absolutely microscopic. But all they do is fire or don't fire. Fire or don't. They're binary. They're ones or zeros. That's all they do. And it's hearing all the math. Now, if Sam was from China and had never heard a word of English in his life, both your neurons, if we map their brains of their neurons, they would be doing, they would be doing the same exact thing. Except he wouldn't understand a word I'm saying. You'd understand everything I'm saying. Because there's another part of your brain called memory, and it matches. Neurons can't decipher English. All they're getting is the math. But they're matching all the ones and zeros to every other time they've ever heard English. And, but he's from China, so he's, he's never heard English, so it's just going to come out as that. Now, <clears throat> now, you are not those neurons. Your neurons are just microscopic little guys that either fire or don't fire. You're definitely not them. 
but there, but there's definitely a you here that they're reporting to, which is your consciousness, your conscious self. You have a conscious self, and you got a mind, and or a, a brain, and that's the neurons, the frontal cortex, and the, and it's it's reporting to you, to you, to the conscious you, because there's a conscious you that's receiving all that, but it ain't you. And you could even say that you, as well as everyone else in this room, and sometimes me, but I'm a little more trained in this, are hijacked by those thoughts. How many of us have been hijacked by our thinking? <laughs> meaning, meaning you forget that you're not your thoughts. Your thoughts report to you, but, they do, but you are such a subtle consciousness and so quiet and subtle and gentle and and like almost ethereal, whereas thinking is so loud and frontal that you're hijacked by those, you are hijacked by the thoughts, which is a whole other discussion, which we're not going to get into. But that's one of the, that is the cause of all suffering. Because part of those thoughts is your self-image. And meaning those thoughts are creating who you are for you. But can you imagine a little microscopic thing <laughs> in charge of who you are? That's not cool. Because you're not your neurons. So then who are you? So I'm that consciousness. Okay, great. But if the consciousness is so subtle that the neurons are constantly um, kind of got them got your consciousness in a police headlock with a noogie. If you're in a conscious, if your if your consciousness is constantly in a police headlock, so then all you got left is their neurons. Well, the neurons are scared to death because neurons are where your self-image lies, and self-image means once you're coming from self-image, that means you're always in comparison to the person next to you. Suddenly, you're, the, who you are can be added or subtracted from, and that's nervous. That's also part of the fear of death. Because what greater subtraction can there be than dying? But when you think about it, it's the neurons that are getting in the way of this, the, the conscious self, the presence, which is really the neshama. Because it doesn't take up space and time. I mean, if we put Adam in an MRI, would Adam show up there? Or would it just be skin, sinews, all kinds of other tissues, bones, organs, neurons... Would Adam be in there? No, his body would. Just his body. But there's a consciousness that <coughs> is going to, that's inside that big tube, inside there, that will not show up on the screen. And that, my friends, is called I. That's your I. So when someone says to me something like, Hey, Rabbi, how do I even know I have a soul? And I say, Wow, you use the word I very liberally with such a question. Think about that question. Now that we know what the I is, how do I even know that I have a soul? Who is the I? Who is that I? That is the soul. But it's so darn subtle that people don't even know they got it. Hold the question. Hold the question. One second. It's so subtle that people don't even know they got it. And the thing that's most in the way of it is what? The thinking. 
And if my thinking's in the way of it, death is the scariest <laughs> thing. Rejection, social anxiety, big time. Failure, big time in the way. The majority of the men in this room right now, majority of the men in the room right now, are have anxiety constantly of how they're going to make it. How they're going to make it. And when in the end, every man in the end makes it. But it doesn't matter. How am I going to make it? How am I going to make it? How am I going to do this? And it's not the I that's the true I. It's the self-image I. And what's the big issue? So you'll make it. You know, you'll do something and you'll make it. The answer is that there's no way to make it without failing many times. You can't get anywhere without failing. You didn't learn to walk without falling down a ton of times. No one learns to surf. I'm a surfer. Like, whoa. The, the number one most quit sport in the world. You want to get instant respect for surfers? Go try it one day. It is just failure after failure after miserable, embarrassing failure for months. Months. Most people aren't going to go through that. I always tell people, like, just give up, man. Like, you either start surfing when you're a little kid and your fear of failure isn't developed enough and you'll, you'll break through it. I've met, I can count on like two hands in all my years as a surfer how many adults I've met who learned to surf. And I'm not talking about going to like pay that guy however much to stand on the board, you know, like in Herzliya or something. I'm talking about surfing, riding waves. It's just not something adults do. And it's one of the life's greatest pleasures. But the failure is more than most people can take because most people are generating from a bunch of neurons. One more point. Well, guess what happens when you die? What do they call it in the, in the hospital when they're trying to figure out if he's dead yet? What is it called when they're finally pronounced dead? What is he? Brain dead. Years ago, through much meditation training, hypnotherapy, and various other training I've been through in my life, years ago, I went brain dead. And it's the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> and you want to know something? If you, who do you think's brain is more likely to be able to help you in this room? Mine or, or someone completely harried all the time with protecting their self-image with all their neurons? Who do you think's got more bandwidth to help you with something? And, and not just anything, not just rabbi stuff. I, I'll help you monetize your ideas. Like, just come to me, like, figure out how you can make aliyah and make a good living here. With whatever your skill sets are, just sit down with me for 20 minutes. I'll figure out how you'll make some good ditch here in Israel. Because I got a lot of bandwidth, because my brain's basically dead. <laughs> it's, it's, it's used when necessary. If you think I plan this class or plan any class, I never plan a class, because then you get my brain. Nobody wants it back. What you get is my presence. And by the way, like some of you have been to a lot of my classes, and, you know, like uh, Moisha, for example. You've been to 10 years of classes. Name one thing I've ever said besides today. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. He, he doesn't remember. No, I'm meaning one lesson. Nothing. He's only here because of, of my presence. Because I'm brain, I'm brain dead. 
And I can't, be- you can't believe what it's like learning Talmud once your brain's dead, because you actually, you're on the page with the sages. Like, I'm actually interacting with the sages. Every time I open the Talmud, I'm just like, wow. And my Hevrusas <laughs> keep saying, like, how do you know who said everything? Because I mean, the rabbi, you know, Rabbi Meir, Rabbi, Rabbi Yakiva, Rabbi Shlucky, you know. Because I'm with them. Like, how am I not going to remember who said it? I'm on the page with these guys. Of course I know who said it. Brain dead's amazing. You should really try it. <laughs> anyway, but in the end, your brain dies and the consciousness moves on. I'm going to say one more thing before I go to, to Ellie Mayer, because I know you're, you're... By the way, Ellie Mayer, I'm normally like extremely into participatory, but it needs to be right at the spot. So you're right on the money, but I, I just need to get right to the spot. I'm almost there. We're just going to go a little deeper into consciousness now and watch this. Ready? According to Kabbalah, you have five levels of soul. We're not going to go into each one in detail, but the five levels of soul, like my five fingers, they go, um, and they're multi-levels. So you got to imagine, like, my thumb has gradations coming down. Maybe not the first one. The first one's called Yechida, which is like Yachad or Echad. So that one maybe doesn't have gradations because it's one. But there's Yechida. That's where all our souls are united. Uh, Let's put it like this. Uh, you heard of aspen trees, like in the Rocky Mountains, the aspens, Colorado aspens. So a lot of people don't know this because you're looking at these big old white bark, gorgeous trees, and you're thinking each tree is its own entity. It's not. The aspen tree is the largest organism on the planet. It's one organism. It's one root, and it pops up all over that area. And it's called actually when you see a mountain full of aspens, that's called a stand of aspens because it's one root that's standing up, and so. The part of our soul called the Yechida, and you have to be from Mount Sinai, and this is why you, you have to marry a Jew, is we're all from this Yechida from Mount Sinai. What, is, what happened to us at Mount Sinai? We were basically like supercharged, like electric shocked, you know, by this massive, massive group um, prophecy. And that gave us this kind of stamp of all our soul being the soul of Sinai. It's the Sinai soul. And that's why we got to marry someone from the sinus. So you can marry a convert if they convert halakhically, like, you know, they do the right stuff to convert properly. You can marry them. And so they say, well, they were not Sinai. And the answer is their soul was at Sinai. <coughs> that the soul was there. And now the body's catching up. And chances are they were probably Jews in previous lifetimes because we also believe in reincarnation, which makes total sense because the consciousness is not limited to your body. And for those of you who are more observant here, for the, after we go to the bathroom, we say umafli lasot at the end of the bathroom. Bless, there's a blessing we make. The last two words are mafli, which is lashon pele, and lasot, which means to do, meaning, or to make. God makes wonders. He's the wonder maker. What's the wonder? So when you click on the word umafli lasot, who makes wondrous or acts wondrously, it takes you to the website where it explains all the blessings. And there it says that your soul, the consciousness, hangs around your body. That it even hangs around your body is a wonder. It's a wonder your soul hangs around the body. Because how can something physical have something completely not physical hang around? Like you would think when you leave my class, you could like, if you run fast enough through our lobby, it, like, would, it would like fall behind. No, it won't fall behind. It will stay with you. At least till you die. Now, when you die, everyone else will be sad, but Judaism calls death a hilula. What's the word hilula mean? It means not just when someone dies, it means what? Wedding. 
Meaning, while you're alive in this world, you're called divorced. This is your divorce. And while you're alive in this body, you're divorced. This is your divorce right now. You're in the divorce. Yeah, how's your divorce going? Now, I hate to call it divorce, really, because divorce is kind of final. Let's call it separated. <laughs> and then when you do mitzvahs, you're like sending sweet nothings because you're starting to like them again, you know. So when you do mitzvahs, it's sweet. I don't know, maybe separate is not nice either. It's, you're on a long business trip. <laughs> You're on a long business trip, and, you, and every time you do a mitzvah, you're like sending chocolates or something, you know, you're sending roses or, or, you know, I don't know. That's called the Yechida. Then we got gradations of the Chaya. Then there's the gradations of the Neshama. Then we got gradations of the Ruach, meaning it's level after level of Ruach. Then you got the Nefesh, level after level of the Nefesh. And then the very bottom of the nef, you see the white on my fingernail at the very bottom? That little white, that thin little membrane, is where all those five levels of soul, USB cable interfaces with your neurons. And your neurons are reporting, they're reporting to that little thin part. Look at your fingernail, like look at your pinky nail. You see the little white on there unless you bite your nails? That thin membrane... And you want to hear the crazy thing? No wonder it gets hijacked. And, and, and we keep thinking we are our body, which, of course, you're not. You have a body. You can't possibly be. You can't be your body. Who you are cannot be your body. You can have a body. But we actually think we are our body, which is, I mean, that is absolute insanity. I mean, of all the reductionist insanities, that your body's who you are which shows you the war against the Jews and the Greeks, because the Greeks were all about, you know, they were just like, you know, and, and we were looking at those guys as like, you are deeply confused. You know, and we also got bodies, and Jews are also into beautiful things, and including, you know, taking care of the body, but geez, I mean, you're not your body, because you have a consciousness. And then, just to give you how insane it is, just as an analogy, imagine right now the Atlantic Ocean. Let's say this is the bed of the Atlantic Ocean. This is like, like 10,000 meters deep, and it's thousands of miles across. And there's one molecule of H2O. Look at this. One molecule of H2O right in the center of the bed of the ocean. I'll, I'll enlarge it who declares independence. I have nothing to do with this ocean. I'm out. I'm out. I have nothing to do with the ocean. Can you imagine one, one molecule of H2O in the center of the bed of the Atlantic Ocean going independent? And by the way, the ratio's bigger in our case, meaning, meaning that one drop to the Atlantic Ocean is a smaller ratio than your body to your soul, which is part of infinity. You understand? It's it's even a, this is even a smaller ratio than your soul to the infinite source of the soul. 
And so afterlife is a no-brainer. <laughs> Literally, afterlife is a no-brainer. <laughs> this life's a no-brainer, if you get it right. And then you have your brain. Then you can actually use it. How many of you have spent a lot of bandwidth of your mental faculties to survive in this world because of that incredible identity crisis called soul versus body? I understand. I mean, we had whole civilizations that thought the body was who we are. I mean, you look at a cadaver, it looks like, it looks like they're dead. You look at a dead body. I mean, certainly they certainly look dead, but they are not dead compared to where they are. They were dead when they were alive. And this is why our sages say that that Rishoyim are called living while they're alive, and the Sadikim are called living when they die. And the biggest proof of all of it is you're not afraid of death anymore. And that's a, that's a, that's beautiful. Like, who wants to waste time with that? Like, the one thing that's inevitable. I understand being afraid of, like, traffic accidents or, like, you know, earthquakes or, you know, terrorism. You know. So you can do stuff about that. But to have any wasted energy on your fear of death, something, the one thing you can do nothing about, you're going to waste a second of your energy emotionally, mentally, on your fear of death, the one thing you can't avoid? Why would you give any energy to that? But the second you put your energy into soul and into living for the eternal part of you, i.e. the true you, the second you put your life into the true you, so then, so then you just wouldn't waste any time worrying about death. And that's why it's called a wedding. Okay, Ellie Mayor, sorry. Thanks for being patient with me. If you were patient with me, I don't know. Maybe you're just like, when's he going to stop? But it, it is. No, I, was, I was pretty much like that. Okay, I knew you were. I'm watching your body language, bro. Um, all of this argument is... Try not to use pronouns, though. Like, no this or stuff like that. No, all the argument you just said... I was not arguing. why the afterlife exists. Ah, gotcha, yeah. It's under the starting assumption that you believe in God and the soul. No? I happen to believe in God. I believe in God and the soul, but but I actually, I mean, go on YouTube. You can watch plenty of atheists talking about everything I just talked about. Really? Oh, yeah. I can find plenty of atheists that say that, that an afterlife is proved because you have... Self-image issues, like that was one of the No, you no that you have consciousness that is not physical. But an atheist wouldn't believe that you have consciousness that's not physical. An atheist would believe that you are your body, you are your neurons, which is very deterministic. But they would say there's only an illusion of you. Check it out on YouTube, bro. You're, there are plenty of atheists that would say that, and there's plenty who would say what I said. Go go scour YouTube. So could you, could you don't have to scour YouTube. Just go right on there. Yeah, very much. Yeah, no problem. No problem. And uh, and you're also you should know just going forward that there's some people who my classes go and again this is totally off the 
this is off the record totally, meaning what I'm about to say is in pure parentheses, is that my classes go more the way a conversation would go. You ever talk to someone and you're like, after an hour, you're like, how the hell did we get to there? And then you can like kind of follow it back. That's how my classes go. So some people, like a guy like you would love Ken Spiro, for example. Or maybe even, uh, uh, who was just before me? Rabbi Zeldman. Rabbi Zeldman, where it's like, it's a clear outline. His class on the afterlife is, is an answer to your question. Anyway, it's a clear outline. It's, you know what I mean? My classes are, are um, what are called, um, uh, what's the term? I mean, you could call it brainstorming, but it's not brainstorming. There's a term, uh, uh, flow. Uh, is the word flows in it? What's it called? Uh, stream of consciousness. Thank you. Um, my class are stream of consciousness. Some people like love that, and other people are, like it's like fingernails on a chalkboard, man. Like get to the damn outline, man. And and I'm like, there is no outline. I don't even know what I'm doing up here. And and so, and, but you, just to, as a joke though, you should know that our rabbis here, many of them go more linearly, like outline, and then. A couple of us are stream of consciousness, like Dove Bear, for example, stream of consciousness. And the, uh, have you heard Dove Bear? Uh, yes. So, anyway, but what's <laughs> fun? <laughs> I'm extremely stream of consciousness. Anyway, but the, the funny thing is that there was a time where m- our most linear rabbi is a historian, obviously, because history is like totally linear. And he, his name is Ken Spiro. He's amazing. And of course, I call him Ken Spiro. But the, uh, <laughs> anyway, Ken Spiro is, um, Ken Spiro and I, for years, I mean, we don't do this anymore, but for years we shared a class where he was on, like, Sunday, Mon- Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, and I was on Monday, Wednesday, and then we'd switch. The same group. And what would happen, but it was a whole semester, and what would happen is I would slowly lose all the millennial guys, and he would slowly lose all the stream of consciousness guys. And so by the end of the semester, I would have my gang, and he would have his gang, and that was it. Like, they just knew they had class on Sunday, you know, it was like... We, we, throughout the semester, I would lose all the linear guys and he would lose all the stream of consciousness guys. Well, I'm sorry to impose, but could you make an effort just to give, you know... I'll answer your question. What was your question? What was your question? <laughs> My summary was that it seems to me your proof relies on the assumption that um, a soul and God does exist and that people are not deterministic the way, you know, uh, snail might be. So it relies on those assumptions. Yeah. And I have those assumptions too, as a So that would be a whole other. That would be a whole other dis- That would be a whole other discussion of what my uh, what assumptions I was making. So soul, I was making that assumption. I personally make the God assumption, but but it's it wouldn't have been necessary in my discussion. That's why I didn't bring up God, except for the wedding business. Well, if you didn't believe in God, would you necessarily believe in soul? I I said that's that would be a Ellie Mayer, this is an amazing this is an amazing discussion yourself and the answer is no. You would ha- you, you you can't have a soul without God. And I believe the the YouTube people you would hear speaking on mindfulness who happen to be atheists are um, if I could somehow or you would do the same, if either of us would confront them, they'd be stuck. I'm just saying that I wasn't going. I wasn't going there. By the way, we can prove God too. You want to prove a God in four seconds? Nope, four seconds. That's cool. No four second prove a God. 
Please. Yeah. No, I, just, I would love it, but I just would like to answer my finger. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we just nail the question. Like, so please clarify what exactly your argument was. You spoke a lot about like having self-image issues and fear of death, but it's... Those were totally side, totally side, nothing to do with it. Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure what your argument is. It's very rambly. Yeah, you didn't, uh, you don't, you don't... Attention. I understand, but... It's just that's now we were, that's why I gave that whole parenthesis about about linear versus stream of consciousness. Yeah, that's all. Mm-hmm. It was not you. See, you were listening the whole time, thinking like we're somehow in this proof still. Yeah, we're building up. And we we were not at all in that proof. <laughs> not anywhere near the proof. We were not there, and that's why they're giggling. But they but it's fine. It's fine, different people think different ways, and that's totally cool, and thank God my wife's a hell of a lot more linear than me, or our house would be a jungle, okay? And, and, they, and, and I often suggest that stream of consciousness people, which are called flow people, should marry structured people, and structured people should marry flow people, and their kids should come out normal. <laughs> now, the likelihood of Ellie Mayer searching for a flow lady is like slim to none, but then their kids are going to be raised by Darth Vader's. So I suggest, nevertheless, you find a stream of consciousness girl. Yeah. The only problem is when Shabbos is coming and someone's got to make that chillin', she's going to be off to yoga. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether this was just me getting caught up in the analogy of it, but it sounds like what you were saying sounded like you were saying that consciousness takes place in terms of space, that your body is is not a part of your soul, as if the body ends and the soul begins. It's, yeah, it's not quite like that, but I was speaking, I was speaking in those terms to make a really strong separation, but in fact, the soul is very cognizant of the body's hot, cold, hot, cold fear, all that stuff touches the soul deeply. That's why that's why people, you ready for this? This is crazy. People have paranoias over things that never happened in their lifetime. But sometimes someone can have such a tragic, you know, pretty horrific death, which I do not want to discuss right now, but someone can have such a horrific, shocking, traumatic death that it will actually bleed into their next body, into their next life. Yeah, well, I've had first, I've had many firsthand experiences of these crazy situations like that, and I'll just tell one that was interesting. Oh no, that was a this life one. I can tell you a lot of them that were interesting, but there's one that was quite interesting. But it was the womb that every, everything happened to the mother while she was in the womb, and uh, but through a hypnosis session where we got to go back into the womb, you can actually do it. You can do womb therapy. And we and I'd only just learned womb therapy that week, but from my teacher, I used to work as a therapist for many years. Anyway, but uh, we, I said, "What the hell? You know, we're not getting anywhere with this lady. This lady has terrible fears. Let's go into the womb." So we went into the womb, and, and all kinds of interesting things, which I will not discuss right now. But she called her mother that night and said, "Did such and such happen to you when you were pregnant with me?" And the mother like us. Like, she turns white, and she's like, you spoke to Grandma. <laughs> Someone else had a question? Yeah. What was going to say about, sorry, about the afterlife? The, the what? 
Because even though there's no like uniform uh, like conception uh, of like one uni one uniform belief about uh, dogmatically about like after life, should be speaking about after life. I was through that today and still has somewhat of a concept like Allah about, for instance. Yeah. So so in Judaism we believe in afterlife. And it will be, it's going to be, and that's why I was talking about the Michael and, um, and uh, Sam. Sam, who both are not here right now. <laughs> and the reason I was talking about Michael and Sam there is because the, it's, I mean, it's a little scary to know that we all have this contribution to make here. And it's not so clear what it is. It's pretty scary. I have hints, by the way. If you want me to talk about it one day in class, I don't mind sharing with you how you read the hints in your life of what you're here to contribute. But the, uh, it's pretty scary about that because we're all here for that. And we're also here, we have a two, we're here for two things and we're going to have to deal with them when we die. And the two things we got to deal with when we die is, is number one is how you lived as a Jew. And the other thing is, is how you contributed like, what was your contribution in this, to this world? And both you have to answer. I like to call it like this. Is, um, I put it in a Venn diagram. I apologize if this comes out backwards, those watching this online. But you have Jewish versus Jewish. Okay? And uh, God's going to ask us about the, God's going to have a few questions for us when we get upstairs. He's going to want to know, is there a 5 o'clock class here? No. no. Okay. But I have a 6 o'clock appointment in town. Anyway, but you have Jewish and you have Jewish. And the, uh, there are, the reason I put in a Venn diagram is there's a lot of people, especially with black hats, who think that it's enough just to be Jewish. Like, Jewish is Jewish and you're done. I mean, I've had people get mad at me saying that they actually are going to have to figure out what they're here for. Because they think you can just say amen at the right times and yehesh me rabba, you know, and you're like all set. Isn't that a lifetime? to be something external though? The contribution of Jewish? Yeah, like, so on, on, is it not possible that some souls are put into this world to, like, affect certain... It's a big part of it. The Jewish part's quite complicated. And part of that is that. And also, but another part is contribution. Contribution isn't the only thing. And contribution can sometimes be just, it could be just being an assist to the contribution. You'll notice, like, for example, I meet uh, fundraisers who've been fundraising for many years, and I see them get turned down. And it's just no skin off his back. He's like, no big deal. And I'm like, why wasn't that a big deal? Like, you put a lot into that. And the guy said no. He says, because it's not his thing. It's not his contribution. I know when I find someone and it's in my, what I'm doing matches their, their contribution. And they're so appreciative of me because they're busy working, making money. And, and they're, and they're like, they, they're not necessarily doing their contribution. But what happens is they give their tzedakah from their work towards that contribution. And it'll be just right. Like some people, they just hit it right on, the, on their cause. And then they just they give right there. So seasoned fundraisers don't care if someone doesn't give. 
doesn't mean much because the next guy, until it hits vibrationally with the contribution of the soul of the, of the money, the guy with the money, then it's no big deal because it's not really his contribution. So let him give 18 bucks or 180 bucks. But when you get to the right person, you're going to get 18,000 bucks. And so, you know, that's cool. Anyway, but Jewish and Jewish are, are both very important. And, and they, when we get upstairs, God's going to have some questions. I mean, think about it. What is your life made of, if not choice? If everything is choice. You're just constantly, even right now, you're in the choice of paying attention. We're about to end, by the way. There's a long time of paying attention. But even right now, you're choosing to pay attention, not pay attention, stay, leave. Like, you always have choice. You're in constant choice all the time. Yet, we don't necessarily see the consequences. Many things we do, but many things we don't. I mean, am I going to see the consequences of putting on my tefillin today? Am I going to see the consequences of, of having prayed shacharit this morning? Am I going to see the consequences of having not lost my cool when I got frustrated at, at one point today? I mean, you don't see those consequences all the time. And, and we also see people doing the wrong stuff, driving around in BMWs. Like, where's the, like the one thing you know, if you watch this world from Mars, you see a lot of people making choices. But you don't always see the consequences. Well, unless God has a sick sense of humor, there's going to be consequences to all those choices. You understand? Like, unless God has a sick sense of humor... There was actually a band called Depeche Mode. They wrote a song called Six Sense of Humor, I think. What was it called? Somebody. Somebody? It's called? The song was called Somebody? The song was called Somebody. Oh, really? went like this. Um, I don't want to start any blasphemous rumors, but I think that God's got a sick sense of humor. And when I die, I expect to find him laughing. And when I die, I expect to find him laughing. <laughs> I don't believe God has a sixth sense of humor. I believe everything is extremely orchestrated. Extremely orchestrated. And it's all being orchestrated around you. And yet you seem to have free will, which is really weird. Because if everyone's getting orchestrated around you, that means you're getting orchestrated around them, but yet you're experiencing full free will. I mean, it's mind-boggling. Mind-boggling in this world. But we make choices, and it's all orchestrated around us. And th- there's no sixth sense of humor. This is all specific to us. And this is why one person can make a little choice to do some mitzvah and get greater reward than someone raised to do that mitzvah, doing it every day with the ultimate fastidiousness. Not very quickly, because it's on the same time <laughs> <laughs> She says it can get to... If you keep going, yeah, if you keep going, though, it gets, that can also get robotic and habitual. Okay, everyone, um, we're going we're gonna to end here. Shalom, everyone. It was a pleasure. And uh, I'm on weird hours today, this week. I forget, but some days I'm four, some days I'm three. I think I'm on at four tomorrow. Shalom, everyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.